Hey there, humanoids. This is David Shoemaker here with a very exciting announcement. Your favorite wrestling podcast feed, The Ringer Wrestling Show, is now going daily. And you can hang out with me and Kaz on Mondays and Thursdays for The Masked Man Show. And you can join me, Peter Rosenberg, alongside stack guy Greg and Dip every Tuesday with Cheap Heat. And on Fridays, I'll welcome a friend or special guest from the world of wrestling. And on Wednesdays, we have a very special new show called Wednesday Worldwide that you're going to want to check out. Pay-per-view reaction, one-of-a-kind interviews, fantasy booking, talking about bagels. That's what we do here on the Ringer Wrestling Show. Follow the show now on Spotify and do us a favor. Give us five stars. And do us another favor and uh, stay mage. It's Off the Pike presented by FanDuel. April showers bring a loaded sports calendar, and FanDuel is the place to bet on it all. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub. Filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page in the Pulse and get paid instantly when you win. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit RG hyphen help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of this episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Welcome into Off the Pike. I'm Brian Barrett. We're going to chat with Julian McWilliams from The Globe in just a little bit and get into this offseason for the Red Sox. Of course, Otani ends up signing with the Dodgers. We'll get into that with Julian as well, but we're on Yamamoto watch now. So we'll see what is Craig Breslow going to do this offseason to make a splash. We'll get into that with Julian McWilliams in just a little bit. But where I wanted to start was with the Celtics, because I was watching that in-season tournament game last night, the Lakers and the Pacers. And by the way, you know, I'm not the biggest LeBron guy. Most of you are not the biggest fan of LeBron because of the fact that he's beaten the Celtics a lot in the postseason through the years. But he is so good for the sport. Like this, the in-season tournament thing could have been a complete flop, but LeBron took it seriously. He took his team and won the in-season tournament, the first one, and he's talking about how important that was. That was huge for the league because they're eventually going to sell this, right, to whoever it is in terms of a TV package. So LeBron, outstanding for the league. Not that that's anything new, but I got to give him credit there. But anyway, so in that game, Anthony Davis was awesome and sort of a reminder that he can be the best defensive player in the world when he wants to be. But he had 41 and 20. He also had five assists in that game. LeBron goes for 24 and 11. So I was just looking at it like those are the guys on the Lakers, like the main two guys. So I was looking at the other real contenders. So besides the Celtics, the list I came up with, I'll throw the Magic in there in the East just for the sake of the fact that they're number two right now in the conference. We also have the Bucks, of course, the 76ers, and the Heat. Like, those to me are the contenders, and even if the Magic aren't real contenders, they'll throw them in for this. In the West, we have the Timberwolves, the Thunder, the Nuggets, the Suns, and the Lakers. I don't believe in the Clippers, I don't believe in the Kings, and I don't believe in the Mavericks. And the Kings and the Mavericks, obviously, 
better than the Clippers so far this season. The Mavericks got off to a nice start. They've tailed off a little bit, but I don't believe in those teams. Okay. So I just think it's interesting because, and I'll get to those other teams in a bit here, but if you take the Celtics first, here's their shot distribution. Tatum, 19.4 shots per game. Jalen is at 18.4. And then Porzingis is at 12. Drew is at 10.9. And Derek White is at 10.3. Now, I do think Derek White could take more shots, but nonetheless here, the most important thing about this is Jalen and Porzingis. So Jalen is taking 6.4 more shots per game than Kristaps. If you add free throws to the mix, it gets a little bit closer. 17.3 total shots for Kristaps, 22.1 for Jalen. But it's still a big gap there between Jalen and Kristaps Porzingis, about 4.8 per game if you want to go with free throws and field goal attempts, right? And this is not an anti-Jalen thing. It's more of a pro-Kristaps thing. Because if you look at the numbers, Kristaps is fourth in the NBA in two-point shooting at 69.6%. Jalen is 69th at 53.5%. Now, neither one of them shoots the three well. If you look at Jalen on the year, he's at 34.1. Chris Stops is at 33.8. He did hit three of six the other night. And if you're asking me, of those two guys, which one's numbers are going to go up from three-point territory, the bet would be on Chris Stops, right? Jalen has been a below-average shooter from three for the past two years. Two years ago, he's at 35.8%. Last year, that's down to 33.5. And as we mentioned, he's at 34.1% right now. So... If you look at Porzingis, last year he shot the three at 38.5%. So I could see those numbers going up, and I don't envision Jalen getting over 36% this season. So Porzingis is also 11th in the NBA in true shooting percentage at 66.6%. Jalen is at 54.8%, which is 136th of 193 qualifiers. He also had that weird ejection the other night, which... Ref was kind of on a power trip there, but anyway, not to get sidetracked. And if you're not familiar with true shooting, basically it just factors in not just threes, like effective field goal percentage, but it also factors in free throws. So in essence, Porzingis is the 11th most efficient shooter in the league. Jalen is 136. So I want to keep prefacing this. This is not anti-Jalen. This is more about Porzingis. So Jalen this season is in the 42nd percentile as an ISO scorer. He's 14 of 37. I get it. Small sample. It's not good. Porzingis is one of the most efficient post players in the league. He's in the 99th percentile, 18 of 24, and he scored 56 points on 37 possessions. That's 1.51 points per possession. The Pacers have the best offense in the league right now at 123, over 123 rating, best offense in NBA history. Kristaps is averaging 1.51 points per possession in the post. Okay, so yes, a small sample size for both, but Porzingis has shown in those small sample size, he's an elite player in the post. And last year, he was also elite in the post. So this isn't just the beginning of this season. He did this last year, too, for Washington. And the areas that Jalen dominated last year, he isn't this year, right? He's just 36th in points in the paint at 9.8, entering play on Sunday. He was 13th last year, 12.5. So down, what, almost three points. Now, he still is a major weapon in transition, right? But he's not been the same guy getting downhill that he was last season. So we talk about this two-man game all the time with Jalen and Kristaps that's starting to develop, and that's a good thing. But Jalen is not as good of a pick-and-roll operator as he's been in the past. 42.6% in the pick-and-roll, 0.83 points per possession. That's in the 42nd percentile. That's not good. Derek White, by the way, is in the 81st percentile as a pick-and-roll ball handler. Anyway, last year, Jalen was in the 77th percentile. 47% compared to 42.6% as we mentioned this year, and the points per possession 0.98. 
compared to 0.83. So not great, but he was much better last year when it comes to that. So the stuff that he was pretty good at last year, he's not on the same level this year. So the thing that the conclusion I've come to is I believe Kristaps Porzingis is a better offensive player than Jalen Brown, is a more unique player than Jalen Brown, and a more dangerous offensive player. Jalen is inefficient, and if you look through it, these numbers are not pretty, right? And you can say, okay, well, hey, does he make other players better? No, he doesn't do that. And if you just compare, like, the star of the team, Jason Tatum compared to Jalen Brown, the, the points in isolation for Tatum, 1.12 points per possession in ISO. That's a great number. Jalen's at 0.85. Tatum's also at 1.29 points per possession in the post, which is an elite number. So he's unguardable in the post, and he's been great in isolation. Jalen has not been good in isolation. He's not a great post player. And like his best attribute is transition. So in the half court, there's not much you can rely on right now from Jalen Brown, unlike Porzingis and unlike Jason Tatum. So my whole point with this is the second best offensive player on the Celtics in terms of scoring is taking the third most shots by a wide margin. And Porzingis, in terms of the field goal attempts, he's closer to Drew Holiday than he is Jalen, right, in terms of the attempts. So it isn't like these guys are even close to getting the same amount of shots per game. There is a big difference there, right? And I just believe this is something that is sort of a problem. And I don't know how you fix it, right? Like, Joe Mazzulla can't just, and his staff, be like, hey, uh, Jalen... Shoot way less and Kristaps shoot way more. Like you can't just do that, right? It's very difficult to do. Now they can start maybe calling more sets for Porzingis. Like obviously you're not going to call a play down the court every time, but maybe they can just organically try to do it. And the Celtics are really good on offense this year, right? They're six in the NBA at 117.5, their rating. They are 4.2 points worse per 100 with Jalen on the court. That's in the 31st percentile via cleaning the glass. So it's still a good number with Jalen on the court, 117.2, but with Jalen off the court, that number jumps to 121.4, which the only team better than that on the season is the Pacers, right? With Porzingis, that number's at 119.4 when he's on the court compared to Jalen, 117.2. So I just feel like the Celtics offense, we talk about this, and I've talked about it a bunch on the pod. They don't get to the free throw line. They don't get to the rim. But I really think the elephant in the room with this team in terms of their offense the hierarchy is fucked up. The guy that has been labeled their second best player and got the max contract, he isn't their second best offensive player, right? And this is sort of a unique situation, getting back to the other contenders in the league. So if you look across the league, like we'll start with Miami. Bam gets 15.8 shots per game. Jimmy's at 14.9. And then there's a drop off to Duncan Robinson at 10.9. Now we'll see what happens when Tyler Hero gets back, but he's been out for a while. But this has worked for them, right? Bam and Jimmy Butler being the main players. If you look at the 76ers in beat, and nobody would say there's anybody better than Bam and Jimmy Butler on the heat, right? Like, it's easy to see. If you look at the Sixers, Embiid's at 21, Maxi's at 20, and then the dip off to Harris at 12.9. Nobody would argue that there's a player on the Sixers that is better than Maxi or Embiid, right? It's obvious. The Bucks, Giannis at 19.1, Dame at 17.1, Brooks at 10.2, and Middleton's at 10.1. There's a clear drop off there. And Middleton's numbers will come up a little bit because they've sort of taking that minutes restriction off now. Okay, then we look at, say, the Magic. Wagner, 16.5. Paolo, 15.3. Cole Anthony, 11.3. Feels right. Paolo and Franz are their best two players. Then you look at the Lakers going to the West. LeBron, 16.8. Davis, 16. 
Russell at 13. So a clear drop off from Davis to Russell. And you could argue maybe D'Angelo Russell should even shoot less, although he's having a good shooting season. The Suns, Durant at 20.4, Booker at 18.6, Gordon at 11.8. Now, Beal, when he comes back, he'll be somewhere in that 15 range. That's where he was when he actually played. But there's a clear drop off after Durant and Booker. Nobody would say there's two guys better than Durant and Booker. It's obvious, right? The Thunder, Shea's at 20, Jalen Williams at 13, Chet's at 11.7, Giddy's at 11.9. That will sort of work itself out in terms of, hey, who is our second option? Is it Jalen Williams? Is it Chet? Like, that team's still sort of developing, but you can see the clear hierarchy where Shea's taking the 20 shots per game, right? Now, if you look at some of these other teams, like the Nuggets, who won the championship last year, they're at 20 for Jokic, Murray takes 14.6, Porter at 13.7, and that number will tick up for Murray. He's only at 29 uh, 29 minutes per game, and he's only played in 10 games because of the injury, but we just saw it in the postseason last year. Jokic and Murray each took 20 shots a game. Porter took 11. The Wolves, Edwards is at 18.7. Towns is at 15.5. Nas Reed's at 9.7. So those are by far their two best scorers. And look, Rudy Gobert, you could argue, has been their second best player this year, but in terms of scoring the basketball, Towns is going to get a lot more shots than Rudy Gobert, right? Just because of what he can do from his three-point shooting and shooting in general. So there's a clear hierarchy there. And even like this is a guy going from the number one option to the number two option, not the number two to the number three. But Towns was the one option and he's taken a backseat in some capacity to what we've seen so far this season from Anthony Edwards emerging as the true stars. So no other contender has this issue that I'm pointing out with the Celtics. And look, these other contenders have issues. The Celtics are better and deeper than all these teams. I mean, I guess the one team you could argue is Denver, but, and they all have their unique issues, right? Like, are the Lakers going to be able to score enough in big games, right? Are the Sixers going to get enough scoring after Maxi and Abib? Can you rely on a guy like Tobias Harris in the postseason? So I'm not saying these other teams are not without issues. Like, hey, is the, are the Phoenix Suns a good enough defensive team, right? So like the Celtics are in a really good position. This isn't me like panicking or anything along those lines, but I think the only way, like what we've seen from the Celtics team is they've been the best team in the NBA. They've been great. But doesn't it feel like there's a better version of this team that we probably will never see? And I think the only way we see the version where Chris Stotts is the number two option is if the Celtics move on from Jalen Brown, because I don't see, and I'm not advocating for a trade right now. Don't get me wrong. I don't see Jalen Brown just actively taking a backseat to Chris Stotts Porzingis, where he now becomes the third option. And I like Jalen, but... He's in his 27-year-old season. When Ray was here and made that sacrifice, in 2008, he was 32. It was a little bit easier to make that sacrifice, right? And Ray could do it because he had this unique skill set where he's one of the best shooters in NBA history, where it's like, okay, I'm going to get my shots. It's just going to be less than I was. I'm going to have the ball in my hands less, right? I'm going to have to be a catch-and-shoot guy rather than somebody, people forget Ray Allen was like breaking guys down off the dribble, dunking on guys back in the day. But you get the point is, look, He was unique to be able to make that switch. Jalen doesn't have that, right? It's like, hey, we can't just have Jalen running off screen shooting because he's not a good three-point shooter. So I still think the Celtics can win a championship the way that they're currently constructed. But I just don't think that we've seen the best version of this Celtics offense. And I don't believe we're going to see the best version of the Celtics offense unless Jalen is like out for a game in Kristaps' place, right? Because I just don't think that Jalen is the Celtics' second-best offensive player. I believe the Celtics' second-best offensive player, I should preface this by second-best scorer and second-best scoring option, is Kristaps Porzingis. But 
when I think about it from Joe Mazzulla's perspective, I don't know what you do. I don't think there's much you can do at this point to say like, hey, now we, we're going to feature Kristaps a lot more than Jalen Brown. I just think that's an awful, awfully difficult thing to do. All right, a lot more to get into. We'll get into the Sox, their offseason in just a second here with Julian McWilliams from the Globe. Score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets when your first $5 Moneyline bet wins. All right, now I'm looking at the Monday night games. And I cooked up a parlay for the two Monday night games, plus 281. I have an alternate spread for the Dolphins to cover 9.5 at home against the Titans. I have Jalen Waddle alternate receiving yards of 50 and the Packers to cover six and a half at home against the lowly Giants. So that's for plus 281. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use, and there's so many different ways to bet. There's live same-game parlays. You can find bets in the new Explore tab. Dive into the Parlay Hub, the best way to find popular parlays, and more. So visit FanDuel.com Pike and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Must be 21 plus in president select states. $5 pregame money line wager required. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as is non withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Welcome back into Off the Pike. Joining us now from the globe, it is Julian McWilliams. We are in the middle. Well, it's not really hot stove anymore. We don't have that in baseball, but we do have a more active winner than we ordinarily do have in the sport, Julian. So let's just start with the biggest news in Major League Baseball. Not that we thought that Otani was coming to the Red Sox, but... He signs for $700 million to go to the Dodgers with Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman. That lineup's ridiculous. I tweeted out this morning. They have three guys with an OPS north of 970 and an on-base percentage north of 400. I don't know how you're going to pitch to this team. The one thing I'll say is I'm kind of glad, not that obviously I don't like the Dodgers, but I'm kind of glad he went to a good franchise because I feel like this is one of, if not the most unique athletes right now. And I know he's going to miss this season in terms of his pitching with the Tommy John situation. But I'm glad he's playing for a good team because we just watched like arguably the best player for the past 10 years play for the Angels and play in the postseason once. And it was in 2014. So I'm glad he went somewhere relevant. It just it kind of stinks that it's the Dodgers getting him and it's not like the Red Sox. Not that we ever thought he was going to get him. The Red Sox were ever going to get him. But it's just 
he's going there to play with Mookie, and they're going to be on national TV all the time. It just kind of, it's a reality of where the Dodgers are at right now. Yeah, I mean that's that's. I mean, it, it the seven hundred million. I mean, that says a lot. Like we said earlier, he's they're paying essentially for two players. You don't know if he's going to be able to. Like you don't know the durability. Obviously, is the question, but what he's going to what he's going to generate in revenue and just people wanting to see him in a Dodger uniform, like. The seven hundred million alone, just the label of seven hundred million, takes you to a different level of starting where people just want to see you, right? Like it doesn't mean you have to be pitching, doesn't mean you have to. But the seven hundred million figure means a lot, and it says a lot. Um, to your point, yeah, it's, that lineup is nuts. Like it's it's ridiculous. They are going to. I mean, I looked at the one-two punch of him and Freddie Freeman at Fenway last year. I'm like, how can anybody stop this? Now you throw Otani to a mix that just that just strengthens their lineup even more. And you look at, I mean, look, the Dodgers been, they, they've been doing this for years in terms of building up to this point. And that's where the Red Sox thought with, with underheim, they were trying to get to saying, okay, maybe you don't go to this guy at this point. Maybe you don't go for this guy at this point, but you know, eventually we'll be able to get there. The only problem was that they gave up Mookie Betts to be able to do it. So, yeah. I mean, it, does, it just doesn't, that, that didn't really match up. Like that's the guy you kind of build around, but the Otani thing, man, I mean, that's, it's, it's good for baseball. Um, and I also think, you know, even though I would say this, I think had he come to like an East Coast market, that would have probably been better for the sport overall, right? Just because stuff is generated by, you know, the media moves on an East Coast pace. And a lot of games are later. However, it's still the Dodgers. And you can't really miss with that. He made the right decision. And it's crazy because Mike Trout and – Shohei Otani, two generational players, were on the Angels. And yeah. nobody else had these guys. Well, now one of the, at least one team that's reputable has him, and somebody free Mike Trout. <laughs> yeah, well, and the Trout thing's interesting, too, from this perspective. He's got a lot of money left on that deal. And if I said this three healthy. years ago, yeah, that's the thing. Like, if I said this three years ago, I'd sound like an idiot. I just, I don't know what, how much they would get in return for Trout. Like, obviously, the guy, when he's on the field, he's still a great player, but he's never healthy at this particular point in time. So, yeah, it's going to be fascinating to see what the Angels do, because I can, at some point, he's going to be like, man, like, I, I've got to start playing some relevant baseball games, because at this point, he doesn't play in any relevant games, and the guy that sort of, I don't want to say rejuvenated him because I don't know him personally, but it's like, oh, here's the other star that we have here, which now he doesn't have that and Otani being gone. Mm -hmm. And the other thing is, too, like, I don't think pe people like truly understand what Otani. Now, the durability is an issue, right? I think the most innings he threw was like 135. 166. 166 and a third. That's a, that was that was the his first MVP year last year. I, I looked at that last night. 166 okay. and a third. So that's the that's second the most innings he threw was like 133. Okay, so so the high water mark is one sixty six, yeah. and then he's bet he hasn't been over one hundred and forty any other year. So the durability is certainly an issue. But even if he gives you say like one sixty for seven of those years, mm -hmm. you're basically because we know he's going to be elite when he's on the mound. Like he does not have problems when he's on the mound. The only problem he has is staying, staying healthy, and like mm -hmm. his stuff is just he's got everything. I mean, this guy's got a million pitches, right? And Sometimes I feel like he's almost bored and he's like fooling around with hitters. Like he'll just randomly decide, hey, I'm pitching this guy backwards. But it's basically like if you had Tom Brady and Ed Reed, like that's what they're paying for, right? They're, pay yeah. they're paying for one of the best in the football analysis, the best quarterback mm -hmm. 
and the best defensive player for a couple of years there in Ed Reed. Because it's like and it's two different skill sets. Like it's yeah. not even the same. It's not even the same sport. Like it's crazy. It's, it, it's not this, and that's the only way I can put it. Like it's not the same sport. It's like if I go from playing lacrosse to golf or something like that. Like it's not. There's 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 no. There's no similarities except for the fact of like, okay, I may know how to pitch him because I'm a hitter as well. And I may know how to hit against him because I know what he'll go to this at this point because I'm a pitcher as well in my game plan. But it's two different jobs. And you're, and, you're, and you're cramming in that week to be able to one game plan for the, your opponent that you pitch against every five days and also game plan for the hitters like that you're facing on a day to, for the pitchers that you're facing on a day-to-day basis. So it's 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 a wild wild thing. So the Ed Reed and, and Tom Brady comparison is, is 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 legit. And think about this: like they made a rule for him because he's so exciting. Yeah. They said, "Hey, on the days that he pitches, we want him to be able to stay in the lineup. So we're going to change right. the rules so he can stay in the basically the so you DH can preserve spot, the which, DH. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I just I love watching. I was telling the guy my play. dad about that last night. He didn't <clears> he didn't he didn't quite get it. He's like, wait, so. He went to a National League team, so but he's like he didn't even know the National League adopted the DH. He was like, I was like, no, Dad, like this is universal DH. He's like, oh, he's like, but wait, what about on the days that he pitches? He's not gonna be able to hit. So what do they pay him like that? Well, it's an Otani release where you're able to preserve the DH now. He's like, oh, when they implement that, I'm like last year. So he's like way out of the loop. But like, but it's un- but it was unfathomable to him, right? That that yeah. part of it's like, wait, what? They created a rule for him. It's like yeah. it's it's its own thing. Yeah. And it's often and it's like nobody else is gonna act, like after he retires like who's gonna actually who's gonna actually like implement that rule I mean who's gonna actually like exercise that rule right like yeah. let's, let's keep our pitcher in to hit I think like the closest guy is like Michael Lorenzen right like he he yeah. can hit a, he he hits like he's a two way guy at times but not like Otani I mean think about it we laugh like when not laugh I get annoyed when we see like position players pitch it's like see how like this guy's throwing like. 60 miles an hour it's like there's a guy that actually does both of these jobs like when he's actually healthy at a yeah. top five level which is remarkable all right so i want to switch this because switch to this yamamoto now he's the big fish apparently i was reading that cashman is bringing matsui and tanaka to the yankees meeting which is on monday we're recording on sunday we know the mets are in the giants are in the cardinals are in the cubs are in for me, I did this whole thing on the pod the other day that the Red Sox, they need to get him, right? He's what they need. He's the ace. But how hard do you think the Red Sox right now are pushing to land Yamamoto? Because to me, like, we've seen all these moves that are being made, right? Otani, the Yankees got Juan Soto. And it's just like, for me, like, when's the last time? I was trying to think about this yesterday, and I was going through it. When's the last time the Red Sox landed like the guy, because Trevor Story wasn't the guy. Like there was better. Mm-hmm. Like Corey Seager went that year to the Texas Rangers, right? And part of the reason they got Story at the value they got him at is because he was coming off elbow injuries and he wasn't the best shortstop on the market. I think you'd have to go back to JD Martinez in 2018, where he was mm-hmm. like their main target, right? He was the best available bat. He was exactly what they needed to put him in the middle of the lineup. And then prior to that, Sale was a trade. It would have probably been David Price because David Price was Dombrowski's guy, right? Like Scherzer yeah. was out there too, but it did feel like Dave Dombrowski wanted David Price. So like, and look, I don't want to go through a whole thing about David Price and like his tenure here, but it's been a while, my point is, right? So at, at the earliest or at the most recent, it was 2018 with J.D. Martinez. And I feel like Yamamoto's the guy and he's the only guy left out there that's like, without question, the top guy on the market. I just would like to see the Red Sox land Yamamoto. Do you, what do you like? What do you put the chances at? 
I mean, I definitely think they have it. They're they're in the mix and they have a chance, right? I mean, I think that you know Craig Breslow has you know shown in in some regard that he's not afraid to make a trade, right? I mean, you, you got those three guys back in the Verdugo trade, but you know, whatever. It was just about getting Verdugo out of here, right? That's that's they they didn't say that, yeah. but it's essentially what it was. Um, and I think he he's really really sort of built up trying to build up the pitching infrastructure from Andrew Bailey to the guy that they just signed and, um, you know, as their director of pitching. Um, but ultimately I know he, he thinks that it comes down to results. And I think, look, I, I think they have a chance, right? I think they have a chance of, at landing him. I think there's a chance of, 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 you know, there's, uh, there's obviously, you know, you mentioned Tanaka and, and Matt Sui, obviously the Red Sox have their own collection of, of, of people here from, you know, Koji Uehara to, you know, Daisuke Mats- uh, Matsuzaka. So it's, 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 it's a lot of different, you know, ways in which this can turn. However, the one thing I will say is that there was a lot of talk in winter meetings about the, new, the, the, the young guys stepping up, the young guys stepping up. And that's kind of a buzzword for me is saying, oh, are we in a situation now where the Red Sox, we're going to look at the Red Sox and say, hey, well, they're not going to pay, right? I was reading Jim McCaffrey's story in The Athletic and her, where she had a report that said a lot of what is from somebody inside the organization, a lot of what Breslow has done uh, in the first month um, is sort of similar to what they felt with Underheim. Now, mm. you know, I, I, how, how, you know, that, that could just be sort of this, you know, initial reaction, I guess. And, and obviously there's a process to everything. And look, people were waiting for Otani, the ball for Otani to drop, right? It's still December, what, 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th. Uh, I just went through, yeah, December 10th. Um, and, you know, it, it's, it's, People waited for Otani ball to drop. Now it's going to see how the market really sets. Because Otani is his, is his own market. Like people say, right. Otani sets the market. It's like no, he doesn't really set the market. <laughs> no. Like he's it's its own thing. And now it's like everybody else. So it's Yamamoto kind of sets the market. And re- realistically, right. And then you look at all the other guys from Snell to Montgomery. Um, you know, those are the guys I think they should they should go after too. Especially Snell, the big the huge strikeout rate. They've had. Issues with guys striking out guys, their fielding isn't that good, their defense isn't that good, so it takes away the fielding to a little bit. Um, so you're just going to have to look at that situation and say, yeah, they should pay for Yamamoto. Uh, I, does that happen? I don't know. A lot of the Japanese writers uh, who I've spoken to tend to think that he's going to go to the Yankees. Um, oh, man. So we'll, we'll see. I mean, every every Japanese writer I've, I've, I've spoken to is like, oh, yeah, Yankees, Yankees, Yankees. Like, they've oh. been saying that since – since even before, since the summer, since the last series, I forget in, uh, in Baltimore, I uh, asked one of the Japanese wrestlers, what do you think Yamamoto is? He's a Yankees. And so I don't know. I don't know what it is about the Yankees, but they say those guys grew up watching the Yankees and Tanaka and um, Matsui and a lot of, they only got a lot of the Yankee games. So that ten, tends to be the team that they're drawn to. So we'll see what happens. I think you're going to have to go. But it, it, initially, people talk about setting the market. You know, how about the team set the market? How about the Red yeah. Sox set the market? Right. Like I'm, we always talk I'm about the you, players set in the market. How about the team set the market? And and that's what the Red Sox have to do in order if they want to get back to win. Yeah, I, I'm with you. And I don't care. Like if you have to overpay, I really don't like if you're if that means you land the guy, then I'm all right. for it. It's, it's interesting too what you said about Breslow, like the connection there from Jim McCaffrey's story to Heim Bloom. One of the selling points with Breslow, and you could tell like in that introductory press conference, one of the things that they were trying to sell, and I'm sure, I mean, it's not like it's not yeah. factual, but they were trying to push, I'm not, and he basically said this, uh, to paraphrase, I'm not just a nerd, I also won a World Series, I'm also a former player. 
So they were trying to like push that narrative to be oh like, oh my god, yeah, they've like that they, a lot. Yeah, so that to me was like, oh, this is going to be different. Like he understands how the clubhouse operates, and right now, what the clubhouse needs is a star. Okay, so let's go with the hypothetical that they don't get Yamamoto. Although I do really want them to get Yamamoto. If the Yankees get Juan Soto, who's like my favorite non-Red Sox, I love that guy. If they get Juan Soto and Yamamoto in the same offseason, I'm going to lose my mind because it's back to what I grew up watching when the Yankees in the early 2000s were just getting everybody. Like it, and the, at least then, like there was an arms race. The Red Sox are like, okay, we didn't get the A Rod thing done, but they would make their moves, right? Like yeah, they brought yeah, yeah. they brought in stars too. So like in that, and even like as recently as 07, like they traded for Josh Beckett. They brought in Mike Lowell. Yeah. Like so, I just hope the Red Sox can get back to that. But you mentioned Blake Snell, and this is interesting to me because, and I talked about Montgomery the other day on the pod how I like him here. I think he's very durable and all that. But I'm interested in like the Snell thing where. This guy just, he just won another Cy Young. And and it's interesting that like Yamamoto is setting the market. Like he's the guy that everybody's waiting on. And when you look at Blake Snell, last season, he was second in strikeout, right? He was first Mm -hmm. in ERA. So I get it. Like I'm guessing the reason is the walk rate is 13.3%, which the highest of any qualified starter, the second to last guy was Morton at 11.6. So he was only 25th in innings. But are you surprised that a guy that's, he basically, he's got the whiff rate on his curveballs, 56%. The batting average is 79, not 179 against the curveball. The slider is 123. The changeup's 185. And this guy, if I was him, I'd be like pissed. And look, maybe he's, you yeah. know, he's going to get his money either way. But it's like, okay, this guy that's coming over who... I get like I want Yamamoto. We just talking about how badly we want Yamamoto. The guys get filthy stuff. But I'm, if I'm Blake Snell, I'm like, wait, hold on. I've proven it at the major league level, and I'm just like waiting for this guy. I wonder why it feels like to me the Red Sox would be more in on Montgomery than Snell. Do you think it is like the walks and they question, hey, can he go deep in games because of this? Like the one thing you say about Montgomery, last three years, pencil him in for six and two thirds or six mm-hmm. and a third, and he's going to give you a quality start most times that he's out there so i wonder if that's what it is with blake snell it's just like the walk stuff yeah i think i, I think I, I looked he had at least 19 starts i think where he went six innings or more this year that was blake snell he's also snell. had yeah he's had 29 starts where he went five innings or more so it's so i guess so it's weird how like the inning total isn't is just at 166 he must have just been going like six 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 yeah or like five 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 six six seven seven five like it just must have been like something like that but i think it's it's weird right because because the whole snell thing it, it's probably like he's 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 won a Cy Young even before this year he won it with the rays but it must be like the rays attachment right like when you when you look at all the rays pitchers you don't necessarily like even shane mcclanahan right like he's filthy like if you talk to players who who uh who face them they're like this guy's impossible to hit but you don't necessarily say oh he's like a top two starter in the league right and so like yeah. and there's like this this sort of raise effect and i think that sort of followed blake snell a little bit i think the walk rate was an issue this year and then eventually they might feel like he ran into some you know good luck but you know doesn't isn't a strikeout isn't necessarily a good luck right so it's it's yeah. kind of weird how that how this guy who, like you said, is proven in this market. I mean, in 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 both leagues, in both the National League and the American leagues, won both Cy Youngs in both leagues, and now he's not the guy that's sort of set in the market. But look, I mean, 
it probably speaks to, to, to Yamamoto's age. I think it, like his, him being 24, 25 years old, that's probably yeah. a little bit different than, you know, Blake Snell. I don't know. What is he? 26, 20, 27, 28, 29. I don't know. He's had injuries. He's had a Tommy John surgery. Um, you know, he's had some, some elbow stuff. So obviously that plays a little part, but I think, you, you know, you're looking at, at, at a Yamamoto situation. You're saying he's kind of the shiny new toy, right? So, I mean, you know, the Otani, him coming over, and I mean, he's and he's been the guy for that long. Blake Snell necessarily hasn't been really the guy. He's been the guy, and then he's like dipped off and went to got Tommy John surgery. He's like, oh shoot, he's the guy again. You know what I mean? So it's not necessarily the yeah. consistent guy that we've seen throughout the years. Yeah, and he's entering his to to your question there. He's entering his thirty one year old season, so he yeah, is a little bit older. The, and yeah. two things I do wonder. A, I wonder about like the sale comparison in terms of the frame, right? Like he's really skinny, violent motion. You know what I mean? There's a lot of yeah. moving parts there. And the other component is, I wonder if Haim, like if he was still here because he was with Tampa, if he would be more in on Snell than this current front office is. So I wonder if it's about like, obviously Montgomery and Snell. And like I said, I'd be happy with Montgomery. I hope, I wish you could get Montgomery and Yamamoto. Like, I don't see why you have to stop at just Yamamoto. I think this team desperately mm -hmm. needs starting pitchers. So I would add two of them. So it, and the thing, maybe the bet with Montgomery or, and not that they've landed either guy, but maybe the reason they like Montgomery more than Snell is just, okay, they're both older pitchers, but if we're predicting which guy is going to be more durable, even though Snell's upside is going to be higher, like there's a chance if we sign both these guys to a three-year deal, Snell will have one season that's way better than Montgomery. But if we take the aggregate over the three-year period, Montgomery will be the more valuable and the more dependable pitcher. I'm wondering if that's sort of the rationale behind liking Montgomery more than Snell. And quite frankly, like, and I know people in the analytic world don't like this, but he does show up in big games. Like, he showed up in the postseason for the Rangers. He does. He does. And, you know, the, the, the one thing I will say about Montgomery is that he's also a high contact, like, like, He's a ground ball guy. Yeah. Red Sox have issues fielding ground balls. So, <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> so, we gotta, I, I don't know what's going to happen. Maybe that's why there. they're in on the second baseman out there. Maybe that's why they're looking for a second <laughs> baseman. You got to get a second baseman. Like, listen, we got some issues with some ground balls here. So, maybe, maybe you know, I don't know if fly ball rate is a good thing in Fenway, but a fly ball to center field is better than a, than a ground ball to second base to third base to first yeah. base. Yeah. The Babbitt's going to be the Babbitt's going to be through the roof. Montgomery's going to look at his numbers and be like, wait, this this doesn't make sense. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So uh, but no, I, I look, I, I mean, I think when he started throwing his four seamer more this year, he started getting a little bit more swing and miss. He said, you know, I think yeah, there's, there's an article that I read where he where the Yankees sort of deterred him away from throwing his four seamer. And the Cardinals are like, look, this is actually a pitch that you probably should throw. Yeah. So now that he has that in his web, his, his arsenal, you know, I think he's a guy that's sort of developed as he's as he's aged and went to a new organization and with the pitching infrastructure we always go back i'm using this freaking guy Bredlow's words now like infrastructure prospect <laughs> capital i found myself yeah. looking with 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 all the pitching you know components that they're that the that the red sox say they're they're putting into the system maybe perhaps this would be a good fit for him i think it would be a great fit for him but i don't look at him necessarily as a number one right i think he's a good number two number three so it's like yeah, go out and get Yamamoto too. Yeah, go out and get Snell too. Like, why not just get these guys and then get Teoscar Hernandez? We can talk about the outfield situation, right? Like, yeah. I don't think you're done there. You got to trade one of those outfielders. And I think Duran is probably your your best tradable asset. Um, but you got to be like, 
I was, again, you said, you remember, you mentioned how we grew up. Like, I grew up in New York. I grew up in Yankee fan. It was like, oh, is he going to Boston or is he going to New York? Right? right. Like, it was never, it was never ever like, oh, he might go to LA or he might sign with the Cubs or he's, he might, he's checking out the Giants too. Like, he yeah. could go to the Giants. It was like, no, like, you're, you zeroed in on just those two places. Like, what happened to that? And it's I not know. just with the, with the Red Sox. It's, it's the Yankees too. Before this yeah. year, like, what happened to, to to just the Red Sox and Yankees? No, we're in on both these guys, with on all these guys, and we're the only guys that have a really fighting chance to do that. And they can still do that. They just choose not to do it. Yeah, and it, even if you just take the division, like the Toronto Blue Jays, they were just in on obviously Otani. They didn't land them, but they were in. Like they were one of the finalists, I guess you could say. They recently signed a guy like George Springer, who was a big free agent, mm-hmm. right? We know how much Alex Cora loves George Springer. So George oh Springer, God. he's a huge it's George Springer guy. That. And we think about the just like the division, now the Orioles are on the come up and they may get new ownership, which I saw my buddy, our buddy Lou Merloni tweeted about that. Like, that could be dangerous. Like, the Orioles got a ton of good players, especially in the farm system. Matt Holiday's kid's coming up soon. Could you imagine they get, if like, they got like a Steve Cohen as a, as a freaking... Oh my God. Ridiculous. Like a, I mean, or not, or just like, or like the guy who just, uh, the guy who just died, the the, the uh, Padres owner. But if they get a guy like that, Jesus Christ! I mean, or maybe that's Ballmer, scary. Steve Ballmer the buys the Orioles. Steve too. Ballmer. Jerry Jones. Yeah, Jerry Jones, and that place is crazy too. Like Camden Yards used to be rocking back in the day when they had Cal Ripken. Oh, Jr. dude, dude, like stadium. Let, it's like there's nobody there. There's like 20 people at those games, and they're good. They, Alex Spear brought up a um like we I was sitting next to him at uh at Camden Yards at the end of the season, and he was like, "Dude, like you don't understand like this was like the new ballpark like it was like the like the the ballpark that everybody like sort of looked at as like oh oh crap like this is the new generational ballpark so they had like they led the league in attendance like they were they were averaging like yeah way over a million a year for like from like ninety three like consistently like it was like. Three million, three million. Like it was like there. You look, go look at the Orioles' attendance from like ninety, ninety one to like ninety eight. It's it's out of this world. And so if they can, and, and and you you see like with with the Ravens fans down there with everything like if there's 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 a hook to bring this team in. I think last year was the initial hook, right? Like even yeah. when they clinched, and I was down there, like that place was packed. It was rock. Like it was it was it was a really good atmosphere. So. If you start winning and you get an owner that spends and now they're freaking bringing in, I don't know, Juan Soto next year. Who know who freaking knows? Like, where are the Red Sox in all this? Because the division is just getting better and better and better. Right. And I think that the Orioles and the Rays are always in this sort of conversation. But with the Orioles, I felt like they could have done more at the deadline. Like, look what Texas did. They didn't mm-hmm. stop at Scherzer. They said, hey, let's go get Montgomery, too. And the Orioles didn't really do anything. And I wonder mm-hmm. now that they... Hey, we won the division. Now we're here. We're going to start being more aggressive in the off seasons and in trading deadlines. Because certainly, like if you look at the team they have right now, they can do it. But I want to get back to what you're saying about Breslow too, just in terms of they get these three pitchers for Verdugo. I think it's interesting. One of them is six eight. He called him a ball of clay, yeah. which I thought was funny. Yeah, I talked yeah, about yeah. these. I talked about these guys the other day. But now seeing like what Breslow is trying to do here and. Seth Lugo's been mentioned with the Red Sox. That'd be more of a mid-rotation guy. Like I said, I'd be fine with that if it's not the guy they sign. It's one of the guys yeah. they sign. So I'd be fine with him. Like some of the numbers I like on him, not a big, he's not going to get a ton of swings and misses. He will get a ton of called strikes. But they also mentioned Winkowski as somebody that 
could go back as a starter. Now, the fascinating thing to me about Winkowski is when, I got to be honest, when they, and they were talking about it last season before the year, when they decided that they were going to put him in the bullpen, I'm like, okay, hold on. This, this makes no fucking sense. This guy literally is allergic to missing bats his first year with the Red mm-hmm. Sox when he came up. Like, yeah, he was, I, I labeled him ground ball ski because he'd get a ton of ground balls. And then ball basically ski. from like the stock standard comment when he said Wrigley stock standard after that, like his value went way down because he got to miss a bat occasionally. And to his credit, he went to the bullpen, all his stuff ticked up like that. He got the fastball. He was throwing that harder and the off speed stuff was much better. I do kind of like, I don't like the fact that they've done this with so many guys where they mess around with the roles, whether it's Dude. Whitlock, whether it's Tanner Houck. So I, it, that's my concern that like when Kowski, I, I, like he found something that worked, but I do think like he does sort of profile more as a starter than he does a relief pitcher. But I just wonder like, are we going to keep doing this? Like where we're switching guys roles up? Like, I just feel like, Hey, pick a lane and go with it. Yeah. I, I think, I think it's, 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 it screwed up dude's development. Like, I even look at, like, a Garrett Whitlock, right? Like, I think that has sort of him going between roles. And for me, it's clear, like, Garrett's a reliever. And I think this is sort of screwed up even his development or his mentality even when he goes back to the bullpen as a, as a, as a reliever because now as you're thinking, you got to break the mold, the thought of, like, because like, you can tell him and Tanner Houck, like, you could you could see their mind moving when it when it gets a second third time through the lineup or when a guy gets a hit or 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 when something goes against like the you know that, that isn't supposed to happen something does happen and it's not supposed to happen right like they're right that they, they, you you see their minds calibrating where it's like okay now I this is the second time through the lineup I have to do this I have to do that I have to do this and then when they say hey we need you in the bullpen now now they they went from just being this person that's like now you can just go out and just like you know blow the whole you know just you know un- unleash the tank yeah and and it, and it messes with their entire vibe right and so i see even when garrett whitlock's in the bullpen he's thinking like a starter when he's seeing the next batter come around because you know because he's so used to saying hey you got to think about this hey you got to be able to turn over on him hey you got to do it so it's messed up their development so in the case of like a winkowski um Brezel did say now he didn't necessarily commit to him as a starter he said they found lane they think they might have found lanes for him to be a, a highly effective even multi-inning reliever um so it didn't necessarily... <laughs> I love that they found lanes <laughs> lanes that's what they say we found lanes it's all about lanes it's all about yeah. lanes and, and and uh prospect capital and infrastructure and runways and all this stuff <laughs> we're running out of runway like so now they found lanes for their process yeah, to develop for them to be able to find places, put him in position to be a highly effective reliever. I'm taking their words and I'm saying what they say, and uh, so so it's not necessarily committing to him totally as a starter yet. But the fact of the matter is, like, we you're having four or five guys build up as starters, three or four guys build up as starters that you don't know are going to be starters. Okay, yeah, it's easy to go back to say, okay, they're not starters. We're going to put them in a relieving role. But why are we still having this conversation three years later, right? Just, just at this point, you just need to go out and get guys. Look, when Kelsey was very, very good in his role, I think there was a time when I asked him last late in the season when he pumped like ninety nine. It was like his hardest pitch of the of his of his of his career, and I asked him about that, and he was like, "Oh, it's because you know, I, I'm I have more of a 
chance to be able to do that. And I feel like I'm getting stronger. And I feel like this, and it was like August, it was like August or September. So I think they're messing with these guys, man. And I think you just, at this, some point you got to stop being cute and you just got to get the guys that you know are, are fully starters. Yeah. It's going to be interesting to see what they decide to do, but I just I'm interested to see like the different things that Breslow is doing, like in terms of like I almost want to give him the benefit of the doubt because of how good the program was in Chicago, like everybody's stuff ticked up and the velocity went up. So I'm hoping he can have that same type of an impact. I do think the one thing like, OK, I'll give him the benefit of the doubt on that. He's still going to go out there and land big name guys. So I want to transition to the outfield because they did sign or trade for one guy, Tyler O'Neill. And so it's funny. I was Tyler O'Neill. I told my dad the other day, I'm like, hey, yeah, they, he's like, any moves? I'm like, yeah, they traded for this guy, Tyler O'Neill for the Cardinals. He's like, oh, okay. Don't really know much yeah. about him. Sent him at a Christmas party last night and with my dad, and I was showing him. I'm like, hey, this is this is the guy the Red Sox signed. He's, and it was a picture of him where he's just like, he, this guy's got like the biggest biceps you'll see, right? Tyler oh, my God, my dad, my dad's like, you know, I like the move for this guy. I'm like, you didn't know who he was two days ago, night. <laughs> I like the move, which by the way, somebody should ask Tyler and you're like, Hey man, what do you do for a buy? How many preacher crows you do a week? The guy's insanely jacked. But so final year of his contract, 2020 through 2021, 20 defensive runs saved, which was third among outfielders dealt with injuries the past couple of years, hamstring and back had a great 21, 34 bombs. I remember at Fenway a couple of years ago, he had a bomb eight sixteen career OPS against lefties. But like I said, he's been dealing with a lot of injuries. And if you look at it, you have Duran, you have Yoshida, you have Rafaela. I wonder if Rafaela, and I know it's a small sample size, if he should start in AAA because, and maybe it's just his approach, but the 89 plate appearances with the big club and like small sample size, but he struck out in 28, which is 31.5%. Yeah. He swung at 41.6% of pitches out of the strike zone. Just 11 players are north of that in the season. He is a free swinger. And then the Yoshida thing is, he is... Minus four defensive runs saved. We've talked about this before. He is a liability. So do you want him to DH, even though your DH doesn't provide much power in the case of him? And you still have, they've been linked to Guriel. They've been linked to Teoscar Hernandez as well. Like to me, Tyler O'Neill, this just has to be a trade where it's like, okay, maybe we get the year where he hits 25 bombs. And at the very least, he's going to provide really good defense for you. But this can't be like the outfield that they add. They had and look, they've still no. been linked to Tay Oscar Hernandez no. and like I said, Guriel, but I feel like they just saw the value in O'Neill and said, Hey, let's take a shot on the guy. Yeah, I mean their outfield defense does like even I know they say Abreu can handle right and you know, they feel like he can handle all three spots, but I Yeah, think Abreu, they like I should have mentioned him too. Yeah, I think they like Jaron a a better in left. I don't think they necessarily trust him as much in center than they do in say like if they think they, they think they can really hide him in left. But the question becomes okay, and they now, don't like do him in right. They don't like him in right either. They do not like him in right. They do not like him in right. And Cora said he feels like a Bray you can handle left right, but eh, I, I I question that. He's kind of a lumberer out there a little bit, but his arm his arm plays. Um, so I look at the situation and I say, okay, the Tyler Neal fine, fine. Like I think that's sort of buying. Uh, Sedan a little bit more time, right? I think I think I think for him, there were there were a couple pitches where last year where it was not even like off speeds. It was like there were like they were like forcing fastballs that he's swinging at that are like well off the like well inside, like not even <laughs> off the plate. Like it's yeah. coming toward you, like it's in your vision, right? You can clearly like that's not a ball I should probably be swinging at. Like it's gonna yeah. hit you probably, and he's swinging at it. And again, me and Alex Spear looked at each other like, what the heck? Like, 
geez, like, did he really swing at that? And it's not even, it's not even an off-speed pitch. Um, so I, I look at that situation and I say, okay, I don't necessarily think he's ready. Defensively, he's a wizard. But yeah. obviously Tyler O'Neill, you know, he's a guy that can put together really good at-bats. They, they, they sold low. They, they, they got him on, on a down year. We always talk about the down years in, in Heim, right? Like in terms of yeah. like getting the guys like Trevor Story off of down year, but they had a good 21. Uh, I think Adam Duvall was probably in the same situation where they, you know, they got him when they low, and then he sort of ended up being a really good player for them, even though he was injured, you know, some, but when he did play, he was really highly effective player. But you're looking at a situation and say, okay, I can't, like you said, it can't be the only guy, right? I think they have to go out and get another guy because that outfield is not that good, right? You look at the Yankee outfield yeah. with Verdugo, with Soto, with, with, with Judge, uh, with uh, uh, the other guy, Trent Grissom, coming off the bench. That's a really freaking good outfit. And maybe that's, that's, that's unfair to compare that to, but you can't go into your outfield with, like, with William Abreu, Masataki Yoshida, uh, Jaron Duran, um, Rob Refsnyder, and Tyler O'Neill, and thinking you're going to win a lot of ball games. Where does the power come from, right? Is it just yeah. O'Neill, right? Where does the right-handed power come from? Is, is Abreu, like, he's, yes, I think he's a really good hitter, but how does the power play in that, how does the power play in that ballpark? How does the power play for Yoshida next year? I think that's the reason why they're hesitant to make him a DH. And, and, and Breslow said, ideally, the best fit for him would be if he could play the position and catch a ball, essentially, right? Yeah. Like, that's that like you can't have him as your DH. So what do you do? You got to go out and get another guy. And you got one of those guys. I love Durant. Durant Durant is my favorite player to watch. Like I, I was big on Durant last year in terms of him having a breakout year. But you probably have to trade him for pitching. Right. And, and then it open up that position for somebody like Teoscar Hernandez. Now you have an outfield with at least some with some with some thump and some power to be able to make to be, be able to be a game changer. Um, on on both the offensive side and both in, in, in the defensive side as well. Yeah, I know it's crazy to say it. I love I love Duran too. I'm with you on that. Like, and I hope they don't trade him. But maybe to your point, they're going to have to if they want to add pitching. But I just don't know. Like for me, if I was going to trade one of those guys, like, and I hate to say it because he just got here, the guy that I would want to trade is Yoshida, just because I know I want to trade him too. I just don't know who like, wants that. Right, exactly, because he can't play the outfield. Like he's legitimately he's, like he's he's the guy that's screwing it up for everybody. Yeah, like not only are are the numbers like the numbers are horrible when he play when he plays out in left field, but if you just watch the game, it's like holy shit, this guy is bad in the outfield. His arms bad. He can't. He has no range. Like it's it's like really yeah. bad. And the problem is like this would be fine. If he was because like he's a good offensive player, nobody's doubting that. But the mm-hmm. problem is he's a guy that hits at the top or should hit at the top of the lineup because he's a guy that he's an on base guy, right? He's going to hit for average. He's going to get on base. But the problem is he doesn't hit for power, right? And maybe his power numbers, I would expect them to perk up a little bit next season. But you can't really justify having your DH be a guy that doesn't hit for any power whatsoever. So that's the guy that I would I would like to move, but I just don't think there would be much of a market for him because you're trading for a guy that can't play the outfield and he doesn't really hit many home runs. And I'm optimistic he can be better this year than he was. Well, he can't be worse than he was defensively this year, and hopefully they can work with him on some stuff because I do remember, to the organization's credit, and look, Devers, obviously, he's like, that's another guy that could DH, right? But based on what he did last season, but he had a bad defensive season last year. At the beginning of 2022, him and Xander were both better defensively. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. they did a bunch of stuff to help with their first step. Maybe they can help Yoshida a little bit. Like, he's never going to be good, but maybe he can be, like, 
can he be just slightly below average instead of like a disaster out there? So speaking of the outfield, um, we mentioned Gurriel and Hernandez. So Tay Oscar, we know the story there. He's going to hit home runs. He's going to hit for power. Like I would love him here. Like I like him. That would be a good I can, fit. I can, I can tell you, I can tell you people within the Red Sox organization like want him. Like they, like they, they more they than Gurriel. Like since last year, since last, since when, when we went to Seattle last year, um, I got a text from somebody saying we'll be in on him next year. Like that, that was, and that's the, that's the thought process around the Red Sox. Like they, they really, really liked the Oscar. And I think, look, I mean, he had a really bad first half, I think last year, he went, he really started really slow. Then he got, he kind of got on that like mini Julio Rodriguez heater. Yeah. Um, and he, he got He got his numbers up. I've always liked him since his days. Me in, too. Uh, he in, kills in, the Red Sox. He does. He does. He does. Um, but I can tell you with certainty that there are people within the Red Sox that a specific person texts me and say, hey, we're, we're going to be in on him next year. Because I was like, what about this guy? Like, that would be a good replacement for Verdugo. Because he's talking about, like, trading Verdugo. So, um, I, I think that's the guy you have. You can't go after Adam Duvall. Like, I, I get it. Like, he's a good player. But, like, that can't be the guy, right? Like, you, gotta, you have to be able to go after, like, a bigger name, uh, a younger player, um, you know, a guy that, 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 I mean, Duvall has injury history and, you know, and I don't know Siaska's injury history, but I know, I know he's younger and he's a, he's a little bit more proven over a longer sp- period of time. So I've always liked Siaska Hernandez. Yeah, me too. I like Duvall too. That like, but y- your point or my point with him would be just, he's not durable. Like we, yeah. we know that Duvall is going to have some sort of an injury. And really when he went down last year, it hurt them, right? It really did hurt them. And Teoscar and I just love it. Like, they need a right-handed power hitter. They have enough from the left right. side. When we're talking about Cassis and we're talking about Rafi, they have enough power from, and hopefully Trevor Story can perk up a little bit. Maybe we can get him to 25 home yeah. runs. That would that would be huge for the organization, but they need an outfielder. So what about Gurriel? You think they prefer Teoscar? Because Gurriel, I mean, what he going back to the defense thing, he had 14 defensive runs saved. That was six among outfielders, and he only played 778 innings out there, which yeah. all the other guys in the top five or – that were ahead of him were over 980 innings in the outfield. He did this in in basically 778 innings, as I said. And if you watch that outfield in the playoffs that Arizona had, like that's a major part of, and it's an underrated part, that team had a negative run differential. It's a major part of why they made that run. Those guys get to everything out there. And we're talking about a guy that could play right field. Gurriel would be perfect for them in terms of defensively. Absolutely. And it's two former Blue Jays that we're talking about, right? Teoscar and... Guriel. So do you think they prefer Guriel to, or do you think they prefer Teoscar to Guriel or it's one of those is like, they'll be happy with either one. I think it's one or the other. Um, and obviously, you know, th- there's a relationship there with, uh, you know, core is really close with the, the older Guriel and the brother. So yeah. uh, you have that, you have that connection as well. So uh, look, their, their outfield defense has taken a hit. I mean, regardless of, of whatever we say, Verdugo was very, very good out there last year. Like he was like, yes. Okay. His numbers went down offensively and, um, he ended up being having just, you know, he's an average player across the board, but he was absolutely above average in the outfield. And you need above average in right field. Like there's, there's no room in right field at Fenway for you to be a below average player. So, um, you know, and, and I think over the last couple of years, even dating back to 21, right? Like where you look at the outfield and, and there's, you know, Hunter Renfro is, 
his gold glove was kind of finalist was kind of an eyewash. Like it's, it, you know, he throws the wrong bases overthrown and like the Red Sox are known for that. Like, it's like, why don't you keep the ball low? Like it's, it's a, it's an easy thing to do. Just keep the freaking ball low. Like Jackie said all the time, like, I'm like, why don't you hit the cutoff man on a, on a hot, like on the fly? He was like, well, I just, I do it just to keep the, the runner at first base, you know, should I go? Should I not? You know, kind of thing. So I keep the ball low. I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Why don't the Red Sox players know that? They airmail everything. Yeah. So I, I think the, the outfield defense is crucial because you're already going in with, say, I don't know how you get better when, you're, when your infield is uh, – endeavors and, and can get – I mean, granted, Casas, I think, is, has gotten a little bit better at first base toward the end of the season. But you're already the below average team when you have Yoshida uh, at any outfield, Devers at third, Casas at, Casas at first base. Like, you're already deficient. Yeah. So you can't lack in any other position because that's it, it, it just can't happen, right? And, and expect to get better defensively. Like you're at the outset, you're already down three guys. So what do right. the, those other guys look like? You know what I mean? That's why second base is so important this year is because they're going to have to be able to turn a fucking double play when they need to turn a double play, yeah. right? Like you're, gonna, you're not going to win games if you can't turn double plays late. Like you can't have Emmanuel Valdez being the feed partner of Trevor Story. Like that just can't happen. So they're going to have to go out there and acquire guys that are, that are good enough defensively and offensively. Yes, you need power from that position, but defense is what really hurt this team last year. If they, if they make 50 more plays, we might be talking about a playoff team, right? Like it's, it's not, it's, it's, it's not that it's, it's really that simple because yeah. their offense, yeah, it had their, it had their, their sporadic moments. And I think they really dipped off toward the end of the season when they felt like they were out of contention. But they were there for the most part, for the most for, for, for most of the year. Their pitching yeah. kept them in it for most of the year. It's just the fact that they couldn't get outs. Yeah. Right. It, so it, like so now it's, so now it's crazy. That sales line from turns into and Sale didn't have the best year, but sales line turns into four and a third because this guy couldn't convert a double fucking play. So yeah, you know, that's said, that's oh, a great you- point. That's the underrated part of it, right? When your defense is so bad, you're actually throwing way too many pitches where you're taxing a bullpen, you're taxing your starting rotation. Like that, that was a massive issue for them last year. And you're right. Like Valdez was atrocious. Speaking of that, in terms of what do you think the ETA is on Meyer? Like, could we see him this season or you think Mm, it's 2025 thing? I I, I think, I think that the, the injuries and stuff like that really backtracked him last season. Um, I I think they're going to have to really see a little bit more of him before that. Look, but I, I think look if you get a if you get a situation where you can trade one of those guys like York York or something like that, you got to do it. York's like, the guy and, that and, makes the most sense, right? Because he's kind of going to be blocked. He you is know what blocked. I mean? Yeah. So like that, that and I wonder like you rather do that sooner rather than later because eventually other teams are going to figure out like, hey, he's got no playing spot in this team, so you're going to get less right. back in return. So we talk about like adding pitching. York's the guy that I would consider. I can't wait to eventually see Roman Anthony either because I've heard that there's people that may think that Roman Anthony's the bigger prospect than Meyer, right? Yeah, like, yeah, like, yeah that's, 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 that's the buzz, but we got to wait and see a little bit more. But yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he, he's a confident kid, too. Have you ever heard him speak? It's like, ew, like he's in the booth. I, yeah, Just, I saw uh, him. Was it, was it on Nesson? Like, he won yeah. something. Yeah, I, okay, he's that's where Nesson, I saw him. Yeah, yeah. yeah he, he won something, right, like in the organization, something from the farm. Like, I forget what the award yeah. was, but he won something. It was like Play I, of the Year or some shit like that, yeah. Yeah, I heard somebody's compared him to like Paul O'Neill or something, which I'm like, if that's the case, I mean, that's a that's, that's a pretty that's good, a player. good player. That's All a right. real good player. 
What about Justin Turner? Because I, I, I think I saw in his IG the other day, he's like still around. I think he was in Brookline he's the other day. He's still living here. Yeah, okay. He's, so, li- he's living here through, I think, December. Or okay. Like, or November. Like he said, like they, they love living in Boston. They just extended their lease. Like, so he was here actually for the Big Poppy, I mean, uh, for, the, for the Pedro Martinez event. He was there. Um, okay. He said him and Breslow spoke. Um, and they've been in, in some type of contact, but you know, I, it's, it doesn't sound like they're necessarily going to bring him back. It just, it just sounds like that's something that they're looking for something a little bit different. I know they're looking at for a D8 to be more of a platoon thing. Um, that's what they have sort of mentioned the guys that they can use interchangeably. I don't know if that's like Yoshida and say like Yasker or something like that, but um, you know, if they could sort of mi- mix and match a little bit more, but um, I mean, I know Turner said he would like to be back, but um, you know, I, I, I just don't know how, how that fits into everything that they're trying to do right now. Yeah. I saw the Diamondbacks have some interest in him too, which that would make a lot of sense to add some, mm-hmm. he was really good. I mean, he was one of the best hitters in major league baseball with runners in scoring position, but getting back to this whole DH thing, you wonder like if he's DH in, that means Yoshida's playing left field. Like, so mm-hmm. like, and he's got to play it's- left field more often. So I, I just, I would love Turner to come back. I just don't see it based on the fit. Like ideally if Yoshida was a Yoshida great outfielder. Yoshida messes it up. Yeah, Yoshida messes like, up a lot Yoshida of stuff. Yoshida messes up a lot of stuff. He's the reason why you're going to have to trade Jaron Duran, who's a better player. Like, yeah, like, he, it's, he it's really like, does. The contract is bad. It's a bad contract. Like, yeah, I don't and know I know, what there was, to say about that. And, and there was, like, early on in the season, like, he struggled, like, the first week, and then he was going off for a while. And I was like, oh, maybe, maybe the Red Sox knew more about this, like, than everybody else. Like, look at Yoshida. Yeah. He, and then it's like, okay, now this is... This is why we heard all that stuff about teams thinking that the Red Sox way overpaid for Yoshida. All right, before we let you go, Julian, I'm going to try. This is not, I wouldn't say it's a hot take, but it's a lukewarm take. So okay, I want to run this by you. So I think there is, I shouldn't say I think, because if I'm going to do like a hot take slash lukewarm take, I got to say next yeah, year. Yeah, you got to go all in. Yeah. Next year, Tristan Casas is going to be a better offensive player than Rafi. Okay, so here's the evidence. So he had 154 fewer plate appearances because of the injury. So of hitters with 500 plate appearances, this is season long. So I am accounting for the horrible April where he was horrible in April and then he started going off. Walk rate was 12th, right in front of this guy by the name of Mookie Betts. On base percentage, 18th. OPS 17th, Rafi two spots behind him at 851. Now, Rafi had more home runs, 33 compared to 24 for the big fella. But like I said, Costas 150 fewer plate appearances. Rafi, the slight edge in slug. Rafi has better numbers against lefties. Costas, he didn't hit against lefties, but he still managed a 361 on base percentage. I was fascinated by this. He walked 18.6% of the time against lefties. I'm like, dude. So I guess he just decided, hey, if I'm not going to hit, I'm just not going to swing, right? So... I think that the I love the profile. The one question I do have is I feel like sometimes he's not aggressive enough, and Cora's actually he's talked passive. about this. Yeah, where it's like gets, okay, like it's like he he does he doesn't deviate from his approach. Yeah, and, and Soto's had like, that problem. Soto's actually had mm-hmm. that problem at times. But um, yeah, I, I I don't know. Like Rafi's a great offensive player, and all, and obviously one of the best offensive players in the game. But I, I, I guess I'm fascinated by the approach that Casas has. Like, I don't know what it is. Like, the, the guys that can just spin on everything, like, he's closer to, and I'm not comparing the players, like, uh, like I'm not saying he's this guy, 
But he's closer mm-hmm. to the Juan Soto than the Kyle Schwarber type because Schwarber is great at spinning on everything and walking and then hitting for power. But Schwarber is never going to hit for average. Casas is going to hit for average more sim- and he's going to have a high on base percentage too, more similar to Juan Soto. Like I said, I'm not saying he's going to be Juan Soto, but lukewarm take, Casas has a better 2024 than Rafi. Am I crazy? You're not crazy. I don't I don't agree, but you're not crazy. I I still go Rafi. I, I never forget Xander last year saying like like uh, I, we were in San Diego and he was like, it's just the fear factor with Rafi, right? It's just like the, the fear thing. Like it's it's almost like the the Kobe thing. Like the, like you look at the Kobe, uh, like advanced metrics, they suck. They're not that really good. But then you talk to the players who played against him. It's a completely different thing than what, you know, what we're looking at. I think that's sort of a Rafi too, in some sense. He has a little bit of, not saying he's Kobe, like you're not saying he's once, like Kass is one Soto. Um, but, but I think there's a little bit of like, you don't really know what you're like, what they're like, what the, the angst of pitchers feeling when they're facing this person, right? Like Rafi will go outside the zone and swing at something at his, at his feet. It's the, right. it's the death of him. And it's the, it's the, it's what makes him great. It's what makes him sort of bad at times, right? When he's, when he's struggling, but you get Garrett Cole up there who says, I just don't know how to get this guy out. Um, I, I have to side with that guy until I actually see it. It's fair. It's a fair point. I love that Garrett Cole, like that Rafi owns Garrett Cole. That's hilarious to me. And he's Garrett- just totally given up. He's like, yeah, yeah. okay. It's, it's yeah. bizarre. I wouldn't even pitch to him if I was Garrett Cole, because obviously you can't get Raphael Devers out. He also like struggled with Kike Hernandez for a little bit there when Kike was going deep he against did. him. He did. Yeah, which, which was odd. But I will say this one thing about Rafi. I love him as a player. I thought he'd have an OPS over 900 last year. The one thing I will say in criticism of Rafi, he's got to be more like, you got the big contract, $300 million. And I'm not mm-hmm. saying he has to be like, you know, the Tom Brady type leader or the Kevin Garnett type leader. And I'm not even saying he has to be a leader by like what he says to guys, but he's got to be more professional. He's got to come into mm-hmm. spring training in better shape. I mean, that's the bottom line. And secondarily, mm-hmm. there's no reason he should be this bad defensively. There isn't. No. We've seen like he he has range, like he can get to balls. He has range. That's ne- the issue. Like Yoshida, the issue is ability. He doesn't have the ability to be good. <laughs> Rafi has the ability to at least be average, just be an yeah. average defensive player. And I, quite frankly, I think he has the ability to be better. So I would say that about Rafi. Like, you have the big contract. You're the star of the team. You have to come into spring training in better shape. And secondarily, you have to be better defensively. I would even yeah. take a little slip offensively if it meant he'd be an average fielder. Yeah, yeah. He hurt them so much last year. That Houston series in Houston, and he's in. he gets in his head, too. That's the problem with Rafi. Like, he gets in his head, particularly when he makes one error. Like, he can go a month, two first two months to see, oh, Rafi got better defensively. Wow. And it's like he hasn't made an error in two months. And then all of a sudden, he has eight at the end of May, and he's, like, leading yeah. all third baseman. So, like, there's this thing with him where I think he gets a little discouraged. But, I mean, at some point, it's like, dude, you got to grow up. Like, and I think that's where they, 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 they sort of spoon feed him a little bit and saying, oh, he's still a kid. He's still learning. He's still this. He's still, no, he's not. He's, like, going to his ninth year in the league. Like, yeah. let, let's stop that. Like, we weren't saying that about Mookie when Mookie got to be 27, 20. We weren't saying that about Xander. When Xander was 26 years old, 25 right. years old, you weren't saying that. So why does this guy get a pass? Because he's cause he smiles and has that high-pitched voice. And he's, he's, <laughs> he's like, he's like the, the, you know, like, why? Like why, ice why, cream. Why, exactly. Like, what, what, what's, why does he get a pass? So 
I think he's going to have to start looking at himself as a $300 million player if he wants to sort of become that. And the defensive part of it, he has to give, he has to be at least neutral because he hurt them a lot last year. Yeah. I want the picture, and I know these don't mean much, but I want the picture of like Rafi, IG in the offseason working out, and it's like best shape of my life. That's that's what I want. I want that IG yeah. picture yeah, from yeah, Devers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. That is that's Julian cool. McWilliams from the Globe. Julian, thanks so much for the time, man. Really enjoyed it. And let's hope for Yamamoto. Yeah, let's see what happens. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. All right. Great stuff there from Julian McWilliams. Always enjoy chatting with Julian about the Red Sox, and we'll see. We're on Yamamoto watch right now. They really need to land Yamamoto. I'll go nuts and I'll say the offseason was a success if they land Yamamoto, but time will tell. All right, as always, make sure to get your voicemails in 617-396-7172. Email your thoughts and questions to offthepike at gmail.com. Thanks to Jamie McClellan and Steve Strudy for producing this podcast, and we'll chat in a couple of days. Must be 21-plus and present in select states. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino, LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com RG in Colorado, Iowa, Kentucky, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Tennessee, and Virginia. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text NEXTSTEP to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700, or visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana, visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland, visit 1800gambler.net in West Virginia, or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY in New York. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.